Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? It's good to see you. I genuinely enjoy seeing your faces and it's so good to be back in a lot more normal than we had last year. Um, but let's, at the same time, if I can just keep reiterating it, let's not long for uh, what we had in 2019 more than we long for seeing what God is doing. Is that cool? Does that make sense? I think sometimes the humanity in us, like we're prone to like routine and habit and familiarity and we can expect, we know what to expect next week and next month. And that's not bad. That's pretty good if you, you know, have family and budgets and paying mortgages. But at the same time, when it comes to our spiritual walk with God, Let's not rush back into, let's go back to 2019 and the way we knew everything. Instead, let's pray, Lord, what, what are you up to? Uh, what are you doing? What are you changing? What are you adding? What are you moving? What are you refocusing my gaze to? And let's look at 2021 like a year that's never been before and expect a God who will never change to do something he's never done before. And see, we're not wanting God to change, but there's something new this year on offer for every one of us. There is something new this year that God has never done in your world or through you that is on offer. And if we rush back to the Christianity we knew 18 months ago, we might just miss that. I was talking to someone uh, last week having breakfast and just, just yet again the conversation came up. And the topic, like how much I long, long for every one of our members, every person who calls C3 Corumban home to just know, to be convinced that they are a minister of God. I, I say it as often as I can, but in case it hasn't sunk in yet, I beg you, don't long for this microphone. It limits the preaching of the gospel. It limits the impact of the Holy Spirit in our world. Sometimes we're like, oh, I better go to Bible college just so I can study, just so I can preach a sermon. Why? God said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and signs and wonders will accompany those who believe. Do you know what I mean? If every one of us saw ourselves as born again, changed, sons and daughters of the Most High God, filled with His Spirit, commissioned and sent into the world in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, well, nothing's impossible, right? And suddenly it's, it, changes, it changes the way of thinking, just to put this on your radar, it changes the way of thinking of, man, I, I really want this person in my world to be saved. I, I can't wait to invite them to our Easter services, which isn't a bad thing, but it shifts that to... I want to bring Jesus to them now. And I have the authority and ability to do that. See, that's the biggest shift. Away from the, the extravagance. I want Sunday mornings to be excellent, but I don't want it to be limiting. Am I wording that right? I want this to be a great time in your week. But I don't want it to be the only time that you're worshipping, hearing the gospel, Bringing a friend to hear the gospel. Do you know what I mean? Imagine if at work, imagine if at school, at uni, at family dinners, meeting with people in the street, we, we just share the love of God. And we were so convinced as we're doing so, even without a diploma or bachelor in theology, that the Holy Spirit was with us. And He was giving us the words to say in that moment. Like He said in John 14, don't fear what you'll say in that moment. I will give you the words to speak. Like we're, we're doing it. We're taking Him up on it, right? And I just think, man, as I've been praying about 2021, I just want... And we're going to talk about our theme more next week and our focus, so I don't want to jump the gun, but I just want every person to see themselves as a son or daughter of the Most High God. 
in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ through everything he did on the cross and nothing you've done, but you're in a close relationship with Jesus Christ, and now there's a beautiful task at hand. And it's not a burdensome task. It's not a scary task. It's not a weigh you down, crush you task. It's actually a really enjoyable, light, incredible task. And so let's just keep taking God up on his offer. Amen? Well, um, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Dan. Hey, good to meet you. Uh, my wife Hannah and I get to pastor this church along with the best team in the world. And we've been doing a preaching series in January on suffering, which no one has liked. It's been awful. And so you've just come at the right time. Next week, we're going to be, it'll be a lot nicer and, and easier. But uh, we, we looked at everything that happened last year, not only around the world, but in our community, in our faith community here. And in my honest opinion, it was, um, it was for things unrelated to COVID, one of the biggest attacks on the members of our church I've ever witnessed. And so many of our members had the most brutal year last year, not really related to COVID. No one caught it, no many businesses were impacted that I know of, some, but these people just went through really big battles, faith battles. And what I want us to um, bring out of that is that Scripture really clearly teaches that we will go through battles. Scripture is really clear that we will suffer this side of eternity. But there's something now so great through faith in Jesus Christ. There is something so great on offer for every single one of us. And if you haven't been here this month, what that is, is that word, Zoe. 132 times in the New Testament, it's used 35 times in the Gospel of John alone. This word, Zoe, it's a Greek word for life. And it's never used once to refer to easy life or trial-free life or fame and wealth and good health and all that kind of stuff. It's never referred to as that. What it's referred to is this kingdom, heavenly God life. In John chapter 1 verse 4, it says, In Jesus, when Jesus came to earth, was life. Zoe, in Jesus, was. It existed there. So he brought it to earth, and that life was the light of mankind. And when that light shines in the darkness, the darkness can never overcome it. The darkness can never conquer it, some versions will say. And that's Zoe. That's what I want us to get. You might hate this, but I want you to catch this. I think I don't think it's like weed or like I was saying first week, we're not called to be kamikaze Christians. I'm not longing to suffer or die, just so you know. I, I enjoy surfing and eating out and all those fun things. But I think that this life God has put in us at salvation, this Zoe life, I think it's designed to shine in darkness. When that Zoe life is the light of mankind and when that light shines in the darkness, so when Zoe shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. I think there is a darkness in this world that you and I, we cannot overcome. So God gave us His life in us, and now it cannot overcome us. So there is a real battle in this world. We battle not against flesh and blood and principalities and powers of darkness. So don't worry about engaging in that Facebook debate about the U.S. elections or what's going on in Russia and China right now. You're set free from that. Hallelujah. I just freed you of like hours a week. You could... You can thank me later, but you don't have to engage in that debate because it doesn't matter who's running right now. What it matters is what's going on in the spiritual world. And there is a real spiritual battle happening right now. And if you and I go into it in our own awesomeness and wisdom and light shows and really cool LED screens, we're going to lose. The church will lose if it engages in a dark spiritual battle 
without the light life of Jesus Christ. And so more this month than trying to get you to go, hey, you're going to suffer, get ready for it, it's going to suck, but let's get to heaven. More than that, I'm more going to try to say this month that there are valleys coming, there are dark times coming, but we have Jesus. <laughs> we have Him, we have light, we have life, we have the glory of God now living in us. Colossians 1, 27, Christ in you, the hope of the world. <laughs> yes. We're going to be preaching through Colossians this year. I can't wait for that. But that is who you now are. So once again, if you're going into your valley or your darkness or your suffering in and of yourself, I think you're actually going to really struggle and and actually maybe lose that battle. But if you are going in in the name of Jesus Christ, confident that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God, confident that Christ is in you, I think darkness doesn't stand a chance. Because Scripture is clear, once again, in verse 5, that darkness can never overcome the light, the Zoe life that is now in you. Now, I've got to be honest, I preached four, uh, prepared four sermons for this morning. I didn't know what to speak on, so I'm just going to touch on one in a moment, but I really wanted to talk on the big topic and point of this again today, okay? We will go through tough times, and God is with you in those tough times. And he doesn't just want to get you to the other side, but I think he's doing so in a victorious, overcoming way. I don't think you're just going to crawl to the finish line of the end of your life. I think you are called to be a conqueror. Oh, we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us, right? That's Romans 8, 31. The same thing. <laughs> We're the same passage. So what shall separate us from the love of God? Death, life, suffering, persecution, demons, angels, heights, death. You know what I mean? Like it's pretty, we are like sheep being led to the slaughter. So if you want to be revealed as more than a conqueror this side of eternity, be prepared for a battle. That's what Romans 8, 30 to 38 is speaking about, just in case you're wondering. But in all those goodness, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Amen. And so right now, if you've got your Bible, head on over to Matthew chapter 26. Before I just mix up all those four sermons and preach on everything. I was going to preach on Hebrews 12, like, just in case you haven't read it again, it's like, God only disciplines those He loves, and that discipline is painful and hurts in the moment, but it leads to our benefit in life. Like, some people are like, God would never want to hurt me, God would never want to bring a tough day my way. No, He does, but He doesn't do it sadistically or because He doesn't like you, He does it actually because He loves you so much that He's doing something greater. That response is why I didn't preach that whole message, because no one wants to sit here for 30 minutes listening to that, right? You're like, oh, gosh. All right. Matthew chapter 26. We have it. Thank you so much, Becky. You're the best. I'll turn around. Excuse my back. NLT. Jesus came with them. Uh, If you're not familiar with scriptures, Jesus has just done the Lord's, the, the Last Supper, sorry, and now he's with his disciples. He takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes three of them, uh, Peter, James, and John, a little bit further. He says, stay here and pray. And then he goes further and has some prayer time with God. And this is just before, like literally at the end of this section, he gets arrested. And then he goes on trial, suffers, beaten up, and crucified that day. And so if you're not familiar, that's where we are right now. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, you sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him, James and John. He began to have much sorrow and a heavy heart. He said to them, 
My soul is very sad. My soul is so full of sorrow. I am ready to die. You stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther, farther, further, got down with his face on the ground and he prayed. If you have your Bible right there, verse 39, so we're going to base out of today, so highlight or underline or brackets, verse 39 is just wonderful. He got down with his face on the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it can be done, if it is possible, take away what is before me. Even so, not what I want, but what you want. Some versions will say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Then he came to the followers and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, were you not able to watch with me one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not be tempted. Man's spirit is willing, but the body does not have the power to to do it. He went away again the second time and he prayed saying, my father, if this must happen to me, may whatever you want be done. He came and found them asleep again. Their eyes were heavy. He went away from them a third time and prayed the same prayer. And then he came to his followers and asked them, Are you still sleeping and getting your rest? As I speak, the time has come when the Son of Man will be handed over to sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, the man who will hand me over is near. It's an incredible moment of prayer that I want us to look at today. So let's pray. Jesus, we truly love you. We thank you, God that you will help us discover, uh, rest in and flourish in this prayer and this posture that Jesus had here. Lord, I pray we would, we would hold on to this, both a prayer of faith to see impossible things happen and a prayer of submission that we always want your will to be carried out in our lives. We trust that you are for us. We trust that you are omniscient. You do know everything and we don't. So help us rest in your goodness. Help us rest in your, your love and that you know what's best. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, just big picture, things happening here that I think um, at the end of speaking on suffering, the reason I want to really touch on this is I thought I wanted to equip us with the, the posture of prayer in our suffering. The posture of prayer in our suffering. What, what should we be doing in prayer? Because I, I spoke on this a, a lot this month, but so I meet some Christians and I think... I think humanity is prone to extremes, if I'm honest. Most people, you know, we're, gonna, uh, we're coming out of an age of far right, where we were a Christian nation, we were a right-wing nation, so it was, we, we went that way extreme to, uh, can we say, too far, you know what I mean, where a lot of churches, there was inequality in men and women, a lot of kids were disciplined too severely, there was just too far that way, and so now we're coming into a far left wing, right? So we're seeing this world and social media and the the age that we live in is just social media drowned and heavy and influenced, and it's, it's very left wing, and I'm not, I never try to influence your vote, we're just trying to understand what's happening in the culture and bring the kingdom into the current culture, and I think we're we're prone to be one or the other, whereas Christians, we're called to be in the middle, amen? We're just not, not in the middle, we're called to be different. We're called to have a kingdom culture within us. But the only reason I highlight that, that we're prone to be extremes, is when it comes to prayer, I have met so many Christians who will be one of the extremes. And they are either like, what's the point in praying? God's going to do what He wants, when He wants anyway. If my prayers don't change anything, why would I pray? 
Why would I be at prayer meetings? Why would I be on my knees next to the bed at night time? Why would I pray if God is sovereign? He has a plan. He has a will. He knows what's going. He's seen the first day and the last day. He lives outside of time. Why would I pray? They go to that extreme. And other people are over here saying, you can have whatever you want if you have enough faith. If you have enough faith, you just speak it out and it's going to happen. You want that healing? Pray. And if you have enough faith, it will definitely happen. And if it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't have enough faith. And I am 100% convinced that both are completely wrong, yet both to a degree should be held on to in our posture of prayer. I think Jesus has that position here. And I want to look at four things really quickly, really quickly about prayer. Number one, Jesus came and he fell on his face before God. Number one, can, can you and I constantly be praying out of humility? I think a very damaging thing I see is that when Christians approach God, like he owes them something. Can we be really clear? God loves you so much. He is love. He loves you so much. He doesn't owe you a thing. So I think humility for me, I, I, the, the humble prayer is like a, uh, Hebrews 4.16 where it's like, come boldly and confidently into the throne room of grace so you can obtain mercy in a time of need see the balance there like there is humility to me is I'm confident to go to God in prayer because he loves me but I also recognize it's the throne room of grace and I'm in a time of need see the humility there like that's the position I want us to take in prayer church is that the position of humility where I'm not coming to the throne room of rewards I'm not coming to the throne room of self-righteousness because I've read my Bible every day this week so therefore God owes me something we do that sometimes, right? Oh man, I haven't read in like a month. No wonder all this is going on. God hates me. <laughs> I've read every day for a month. Oh, I've built up some credit. What am I going to get in this prayer time? What can I achieve? It's so good. It's like having all these tokens at time zone. I'm going and there's toys and drones. I'm like, yes, I prayed every day. He owes me so much. That's, that's a works-based relationship with God. And the, wrong, the, the damaging thing about a works-based relationship with God, once again, when you haven't done enough, you think He hates you. When you've done a lot, you think He owes you. Both are wrong, right? Like we're loved and accepted in the presence of God because of who He is and what He did for us on the cross. And we put our faith in Jesus, now we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. And I just think for me, that, that scripture, that statement just screams humility. I, I really, really, really like that. Uh, Tim Keller words it like this. He says, the only person bold enough to wake a king in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water is his child. <laughs> Imagine waking a king and asking for something so petty as a glass of water. The only person crazy enough to do that is someone who knows he's a kid. <laughs> someone who's waking dad right? And that's humility we have. It's like, oh God, I need you. I need you. My prayers sometimes they're petty, but I'm, I'm coming before you like you owe me nothing. I'm not coming before you yelling at you, telling you what you have to do. And Side note, I, I think God's got big enough shoulders that if you get really frustrated because the trial you're going through and the pain you're going through is hurting and you yell at God or you vent to God, I think he has big enough shoulders to handle that. What I'm talking about now is not that, you know, he's going to turn you into a pillar of smalt, uh, salt if you do that. I don't think it's smalt. 
It's another, it's called smoky salt. It's like another spice. I cook with it all the time. It's delicious. Anyway, Gordon Ramsay showed me. But um, I don't think, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, I don't think you're going to die on the spot if you yell at God because you've had, you're in a really brutal season. But what I'm saying is just don't let that be your natural go-to posture where you come and you're yelling at God like he owes you something or he hasn't done something quick enough. God, I've been asking for this for like at least two weeks. Where are you? I just don't think God owes us anything. So let's always start humility, okay? Let's always approach God in humility. But as I said, second thing, let's always approach God in intimacy. Jesus starts his prayer with my father. My father. He's, he's my father. How thankful are you and I that we don't pray to an unemotional, angry, distant judge who's weighing up, once again, whether you deserve the answer or not. He's weighing it up. Like, oh, it depends. I'll see. Have you been good? What's your credit rating like? He's not doing that. He's a loving father in heaven. He loves you. Through Jesus Christ, at Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, anyone who is led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. And we've received the Spirit through whom we now cry out, Abba, Father. They left the Greek in there, the Aramaic, because it's so personal and intimate, that Abba, they didn't want to take it out. Left it there. Once again, I've said it before, but just so you catch it again, it's like dad. Or if you ever called your dad, daddy, feel free. If I did, I would, would have got punched. But anyway, like, like dad. You know, it's like dad. It's so intimate and close. That's what happened when you were saved. That's what happened when you put your faith in the finished work of the cross. You received the Holy Spirit. Now you look at the, the uncreated, the one true God. And when you look at him, you say, Dad. Does that blow you away? Is that better than any other prayer or answer you could be longing for? Like we can long for, for healing. We can long for blessing. Those things aren't wrong to long for them, but... Above that, let's just stop for a second. How beautiful and wonderful is it that we get to pray to our Father in heaven? And He is our Father. Uh, if, in case you don't think that yet, let me help you see that that is a better reward and blessing than anything else you could receive. You have an intimate relationship with the one true God. Come in intimacy. Pray, humility, and now intimacy. Once again, I'm not trying to learn an old Hebrew prayer or impress God. I'm not trying to rattle off my list of works and all those. It's not that. It's Dad, my Father in heaven. Third thing he jumps into is faith. He says, if it is possible, if it can be done. This is what I'm saying, church. You and I have to remain in a place of faith. You and I have to remain in a place of believing the best. Amen? Come on. We live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. I walk by faith and not by sight. We live by faith. We do life by faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without this faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For whoever comes to God must believe that he exists, must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So once again, I'm not trying to say God never wants to answer your prayer, just put up with whatever he does. I'm saying have faith, pray bold prayers, believe for things. Take God's up, God up on his offer when he said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door shall be open for you. Live by faith. Hebrews 11 is a whole chapter of the faith heroes. They did incredible things. How? Through faith. Through faith. We are saved by faith. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8. You were saved by faith, by grace, through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a free gift from God that no man may boast. When God saved you, he gave you faith. Put it in you. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. Come on. I want us to be a faithful people. Amen? I had lunch with Pastor Steve White on Friday. And we we're just talking about some people that I know that I have to... Um, uh, pastors, I hope it's not an offensive term. I don't think it is. But I call them functional cessationists. And so a cessationist is someone who believes that the gifts and healings and miracles of the Holy Spirit stopped after 100 AD. It's called cessationist. We at this church would be continuationists. We believe the gifts and healings and miracles of God continue to work to this day. But I meet people who call themselves continuationists, but they are functional cessationists. So they would put themselves in this camp and you go, can miracles still happen today? Absolutely. Do you ever pray for them? Believe for them? Expect them? No. Why not? Right? I'm trying to lovingly stir you. I'm not trying to bring a word of condemnation. Trust me, it's, it's not a word of rebuke. It's like, if you believe that God is here, if you believe that signs and wonders will accompany anyone who preaches the gospel, then you can believe that miracles can happen in your world today. If you believe that Peter and, James and John were saved by grace, just like you. Yet when they saw the crippled man in Acts chapter 3, they said, silver and gold, we have none, but what we have in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, and a miracle happened, and they led them into the temple to pray together. If you believe you were saved by the same grace that they were, then you can stand on the same name they stood on. Amen? So when we pray, we do it with humility, and we do it with intimacy, but we do it with faith. I want us to pray with faith. I want our prayer meetings once a month, first Tuesday night of every month. That means this Tuesday coming. There you go. Sorry, my world is a little bit weird the last two weeks. But uh, I want us to be praying, front-footed, expecting God to move, God to do things, right? Let's believe. Let's believe. Now, the last thing I'll finish on is submission. Submission. Jesus says, not my will be done. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. Second time he prays, if there's no other way, your will be done. Third time he says he came back and he prayed the same prayer. So at the end of everything, Jesus is always submitting his will to God's will. Now here's the balance I want to reiterate again, just, just as clear as I can, because I'm begging us all to come to this place. Let's live by faith and submission. Not all faith where we're telling God to, God to do something when He should do it and there's no submission and if He chooses not, He would never choose not to do something. He's going to do whatever I tell Him to do. So not all that, but not all submission where we're like, oh, God's, God's going to do what He wants when He wants. My prayers don't impact anything. 
Can we have that balance? Is that cool? Can we have that balance? I want, I want you to, not just for things in C3 Chrome and for your, your kids and for miracles, and family members, people at work. I, I want you to be praying and expecting things to happen, supernatural things to happen. Faith and submission. Jesus says, if it's possible, take this from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. We have to accept that at some times, the prayer of faith will take a back seat to sovereign purpose. So in Isaiah chapter 53, I think it's verse 10, it, this is 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah prophesied it is God's will to crush him. It was God's will to kill Jesus on the cross and lay on him the iniquity of the world. So as faith-filled and, and, and incredible as Jesus' prayer was, if it's possible, I want to see a miracle here, the same time that was submitted to God's plan, right? But I love this. I love this. I think and I'm clear, I feel confident that Jesus knew he was destined to die on the cross. So in Matthew 16, Peter gets the revelation, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Once they get that revelation that Jesus is the God, the next chapter, in chapter 17, he started telling them, or the end of 16, sorry, end of 16, so he started to tell them the Son of Man must die. Three days later, he'll rise again. The Son of Man will suffer persecution. The Son of Man will suffer. Like, Jesus already knew it. And once they got the revelation, he's the son of God, he started to tell the disciples. So this is 10 chapters before where we are now. I think it's like 18 months, if my memory's right. I think it's about 18 months later. Jesus knew. It's a big picture. Forget all it. Jesus knew he was destined to die on the cross. And he still set an example for you and I to pray with faith that if it's possible, God, shift something, change something, move, extend your hand of grace, do something. And he still prayed that even though he knew God's plan. And it's a beautiful example for you and I, because unless you were, there's a good chance you were just way more in touch with God than me and significantly holier. But like, unless you are confident of God's plan for your life, like you, you've got it pretty mapped out, God's revealed it to you as well, till the day you die, what it looks like. Unless that's the case, most of us don't know what next year looks like. And so when we don't know, if Jesus knew it and still prayed for it to change but submitted his will to God's, we who don't know next year should follow that example and always pray, if it's possible, do this miracle, yet not my will but yours be done. If it's possible, change it, heal them, save them, do something. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And that's the posture I want us to take at all times. At all times. I, I want you at our prayer meetings, even if you're going through nothing, come and pray for someone else who's going through something. I want you believing for miracles. I want you expecting things to happen. Yet not our will, but yours be done. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, You have not because you ask not. That's pretty to the point, isn't it? <laughs> you have not simply because you ask not. Talking about the power of prayer. Talking about the prayer of faith 
And the very next verse, James chapter 4, verse 3. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask for selfish gain. See the balance there? Verse 2 is pretty much screaming at you and I. The prayer of faith accomplishes things. James chapter 4, verse 2. The prayer of faith avails much. The fervent, effective prayer avails much. He says it in the next chapter in James chapter 5, 16. So James 4, 2. Prayer does stuff. Verse 3. Yet sometimes when you pray, God's sovereignty steps in <laughs> and doesn't answer it because God is sovereign. That's the balance I want us to have. Don't ever slip into a place of, I'm just not going to pray. God will do what He wants. Please don't go there. Continue living by faith. Continue believing. Continue expecting. Continue hoping. And if for whatever reason your miracle hasn't happened yet, just trust God's at work. I don't know if Steve Bolts is in the room. I was chatting with him last year. Remember, Steve, we were talking about Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I love it. It says, all things work together for good for those who love God are called according to His purpose. And Steve is going through a very tough time at the time. And he said, all things work together for good. So if it hasn't worked together for good yet, God's still at work. I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> Can we believe it? God's still at work. I'm not saying if you pray a thousand more times, you're going to get what you want, but I'm saying He's still at work. He hasn't given up on you. He's a good God. He's in control. Remember we preached pretty much all last year. God is always in control. God is always for you. So let's pray with faith, church. And let's submit our will to His will. Amen.